Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody. At this time, our children are dismissed, including our junior hires, to go off to your classes. Everyone else can just remain standing for just a few minutes. Um, We are in the fourth week of our sermon series, and this will be the third week in lieu of our scripture reading where we uh, collectively say one of the creeds of the church. And now before we do this, just so far we've covered the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, and today we do the Chalcedonian Creed. And this one is written a little bit differently, and it's, uh, it's pretty wordy, and some of them are, there's a lot of commas and things like that, so let's try to pay attention to those. But the reason this creed was written the way that it was written, this is written in 451 A.D., And uh, so it's a really ancient creed, and this is to follow up the Nicene Creed, which was in 325 A.D., and the main reason for this creed was to really uh, settle three heresies at the time, and there were three heresies, and one heresy was that uh, there was a denial of Christ's divinity, and then there was another that was prevalent that was denying the humanity of Christ, and then a third said that those two natures couldn't exist in unity in one person, and so the council of Uh, Chalcedon came up with these words and it became a confession of the church that to this day we have as a foundation for our belief system knowing that Christ, one person, two natures. And it is a great message. So let's read this together today. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, Teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a rational soul and body, coessential with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us, Without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same God." And only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Woo, you can be seated. I'll be real. That one tripped me up. I read this thing like four times this morning. I went over this more than I went over my sermon notes this morning. And I still messed it up twice. I'm gonna, leave, I'm gonna remember this forever. Let's pray, and then we will break in to our passage. Father, we are so thankful that we have a space in our week and time in the midst of our lives 
to separate out for us uh, a time to come under the authority of your word. God, as the, the words of that previous song, I think, said so eloquently, God, renew our minds through your word. Help us to be formed by your grace and your mercy. Help us to see our lives are an extension of the life that you have provided for us in Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would form in us, in the church, a passion for your glory, a passion to see you lifted up in the nations and lifted up in our lives personally. So we submit this time to you. We ask, Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would cause the words of Scripture to be alive in our hearts, that we might know it and treasure it. We pray it for your glory and by your power. Amen. So this is week four of five weeks. So I know you're already starting to get pretty sad about, you know, only one week left of me up here. I'm getting pretty sad about it. I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying the study a lot. Uh, I have just absolutely, um, I mean, just getting to, to focus on two verses for five weeks and probably the four weeks before that has just been a great privilege for me and I've grown a lot. And so if you haven't gotten anything out of it, I have, so there's that. Um, so I just want to go through where we've been so far. Uh, I know this is what I've done the last couple of messages, but I think it's important for us to just kind of reframe ourselves where we're at. And, and these verses have all been about Christian living. It's all been about how the Christian lives in response to the mercies of God. And we've been shown that we're meant to continually saturate our roots in the mercies of God. And as we do that, as we saturate our roots in the mercies of God, we come to understand that the most logical thing to do is to give ourselves wholly and completely to God, to die to ourselves, to live sacrificially, to give God the glory, and to strive for holiness. And last week, we said that what we love the most will have a conforming influence in our life, that what we love the most, we will ultimately conform to which is why Paul tells us that it's only in view of the mercies of God, it's only when we have an affection for Christ that is greater than the affections of this age will we be able to live for him. And we live for him according to his word in view of his work and we begin to resist the conforming standards of this age and loosely hold the treasures of the world. So that's where we've been so far in these three verses. And in this week, we are going to be in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2b. Last week, we were in verse uh, uh, 2a. And next week, we're going to be in verse 2c. Uh, so that's where we're at. But just as a refresher and before we get started, let's root ourselves into what that passage says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so as we get into this passage, I want us to all have a, a couple images in our mind, and we probably all know these things, but has anyone in here ever had an experience with before and after pictures? Before and after pictures. It's uh, one of the great Instagram marketing tools of the world that people use these days where they show a picture of themselves previously, and it's usually in bad lighting, and they're usually very sad. 
and then there's a picture that's right next to it and the lighting is bright and they might be outside and they're smiling. And then afterwards they're like, freedom when you buy my program for whatever. We know these things, right? We've seen these and, and transformation stories are great. They capture our attention. When someone is truly transformed and when uh, an image is really uh, uh, starkly different, it does capture our attention. Like when we see somebody who is like, you know, 5'2", 95 pounds, and in the next picture, they're still 5'2", but they're like 150 of all shredded muscle. We're like, man, that person really did transform. And it causes us to say like, how'd they do that? Like, that's pretty good, right? And, or conversely, on the other side, you see somebody who is, you know, portly. However you wanna say it, I'm gonna be delicate to myself and other people right now. You see yourself, and then next to it, you see this picture, and then all of a sudden they're trim and they're probably like in biking shorts or hiking boots and they're like, eh. and then they're like, this is how I did it. And you can read all about their diet, you know, how the, all this kind of stuff. You've seen these things, right? Okay, those are, those are good transformation stories. We can see that they actually, they actually mean something. That image actually conveys something. But there's another kind out there uh, of transformation picture and it's a little bit like this. The person looks almost identical in both pictures. They, they look almost the same, but they've done like a four-day detox, and what they, all they've done is take a picture where they've sucked in their gut a little bit, puffed out their chest, and smiled, and they're like, I've never felt better. I'm truly transformed, right? Or we've seen the pictures of somebody who's like trying really hard to have abs, but they don't really, and you know they probably got that marker out and defined it. Right? So there's, these, there's, there's two kinds of transformation stories. There's the ones that when you look at it, you're like, man, that's real. I can tell that that's transformation. And then there's other ones over there that are like, they're trying to tell me they're transformed, but they're basically the same person. I don't really see any difference. They might be smiling, but man, that's not really all that different. So you have that in your mind. I think that helps us to understand uh, where we're gonna go today. The, the message today is called The Transformed Mind. And in this sermon, uh, we're going to look at the positive imperative of the passage. Last week was all about do not be conformed, and today is do be transformed. Now, it is transformed. That's the goal. The goal is transformation. The goal is not suck in your gut and look a little bit different. The goal is when you look at your life before Christ and after life, or sorry, after life, I'm already, let's go to heaven. I'm already ready. I mean, after Christ, you should see a substantial difference. And it's marked by the renewed mind. That's what our passage says. So transformation is absolutely the goal because it says be transformed. Transform means to Change form, so you're supposed to change form. That's the goal, okay? So with the goal being stated, he then goes on to say, and this is Paul, by the renewing of your mind. So the transformation that you and I are meant to participate in in the Christian life isn't a transformation that just happens naturally. It's a transformation that happens by something, namely the renewing of our mind. And so today I wanna ask three questions. Why does the mind need to be renewed? How is the mind renewed? And how do we pursue 
the renewal of the mind as believers? Those are the three questions I want to answer. But before I do that, I want to pause on the word transformed just a minute. And I want to think about that just a minute. The word transformed uh, in its Greek form exists four times in the New Testament. Twice in the writings of Paul and twice in the Gospels. Once in Matthew chapter 17 and once in Mark chapter 9 as it responds to the transfiguration of Christ. Okay, so that word transfigured in your English Bibles is the same Greek word for transformed that Paul uses. And when we think about that, I think it's important to know that that, that, that image is conveyed because what, it, what happened at the mountain of transfiguration? We remember what happened there, right? We remember that three disciples were brought up onto the mountain and there Jesus' face shines like the sun. His, his clothes become intensely white and bright. And so that's the idea that Paul is tapping into. We're not to receive Christ by faith and then mostly go on being the same people. Now the gospel is the transforming power in the life of the believer. What Jesus taught and what Paul has been telling us in these two verses thus far is that we're meant to be totally bought in. So much so that we're willing to give God everything, even our own thoughts. Okay, so here's the idea. Transformation, if transformation is the goal, I have to ask, church, are you willing are you willing to make that the marker of your life? You see, Jesus told us to count the cost. Jesus says this in Luke 14, 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Think about that for a second. Jesus, in this context, the, the, the verse right before that says, and a large crowd came to Jesus. A large crowd. If a large crowd came to one of our churches, our immediate thought is, this is great. Welcome all of you people. We must be doing something right. This is awesome. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing something good. I love it. Jesus sees a whole lot of people coming to be his disciple and he goes, you sure? You sure? Because the love that you're gonna have for me in comparison to the love that you have for your life and your wife and your sons and your property is gonna look like hate. Count the cost. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to follow me? I don't belong to this world. You love your stuff? Can't be my disciple. Not willing to carry your cross? Not willing to sacrifice? You can't be my disciple. Listen, I'm not saying this to be like, man, Adam's really bumming us out today. The idea is, the word says transformed. That means that we pursue transformation. We pursue it by the renewing of our mind. But transformation is the goal. So I ask church today, is that 
your goal? Is that what you want? Are you wanting to follow Jesus? Are you wanting to be a disciple? Then be all in. So do you struggle with being conformed to this present age? Do you long to be transformed? Do you long to offer yourself as a living sacrifice? These are all things that we've talked about in the last three weeks. Do you desire to die to yourself and live for Christ? If the answer today for you is yes, then this text is going to tell you, pursue the renewal of your mind. That's what this passage says about transformation. And now here's the amazing part that we already know to be true. We can never change ourselves by ourselves. Yeah, we're gonna expend effort, we're gonna expend energy, but it's always with a view to Christ, the gospel, and through the power of the Spirit. That's the great news for believers. And and here's an, an even greater news. If any one of those things was even a mild yes in your life, that can only come from the Spirit of God. Now you couldn't have conjured that on your own. Right? The idea to want to live as if you are constantly dying, you could never come up with that on your own. So if you have that desire, that comes from the Spirit, and that's a really good thing. So now that we have gotten that out of the way, let's move to the first question. Why does our mind need to be renewed? See, renewal implies that there is an issue um, with our minds, the way that they are, the way that we find them. There's an issue with our minds. And we gotta remember, uh, we're gonna go back to Romans chapter one, and this is where we're gonna find the answer. What is wrong with our mind the way that it is? Romans 1.21 says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, and here's important, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here there's a, a, a willful choice There's a knowledge of God, but they don't honor God as God. They don't give thanks to him, and as a result, their thinking becomes futile. Futile means unacceptable, fruitless. Their thinking results in foolish hearts. And further in that passage in Romans 128, Paul says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So here's here's the image. The image is that in Romans 1, Paul says, what can be understood about God has been clearly on display, but people willingly choose to live a lie. Actually, verse 23 says that people exchange the glory of God for images made by human hands and in human likeness meaning people decided I'd rather worship me than worship the one true creator God. I'd rather put me at the center of everything. I'd rather put my desires first. I'd rather put what I want above following God. And what God says is, okay, you can have it that way, but here's the impact You now have a debased mind. That word debased, we might better understand it as unqualified or unacceptable or worthless. That's that's the idea. That's, That's the mind as we have it because of sin. 
The issue that we have with our minds, the way that they are right now, is that they've been infected with sin, namely the sin of idolatry. Now for us, man-made images aren't as prevalent as they once were, but the worship of ourselves, the worship of our own desires, the worship of what we want, that is alive and well, not only in the world, but in our hearts. This is a true statement. All of us, all of us before Christ had one thing in common, and that was that we were worshiping false idols. And it changed our mind. Last week I said that the age we live in is comprehensive, and if you weren't here, this is gonna be a little bit harder to understand, but uh, I said that the age that we are currently in is comprehensive, and there isn't anything that remains unaffected by this age, and that includes the mind. So our minds are corrupted. And not only are the minds corrupted, the minds now have a constant inclination or disposition or orientation to worship created things and not the creator. And see, this is a huge problem. It's a huge problem because what Paul says is that because of that, because of our debased mind, we now act in ways that are contrary to what God would have us to do. So there's a list in Romans 1, 29 through 32, and this immediately follows the fact that we were given over to a debased mind. And I want you to listen to it. It says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, hater of God. Oh, sorry, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So what does this verse say? We see from this passage that the mind controls the life. The mind controls the life. Mind debased, mind or thoughts unfruitful, what does it result in? Here's the list one more time. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, slander, hatred for God, insolence, which means disrespect, haughtiness, which is like arrogance mixed with like conceit, boasting, disobedience, foolishness, faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness, and the ability to approve people who live that way. That's the problem with our minds. Our minds have been given over. Our minds aren't worthy. Our thinking is futile. And what has been the result? The result has been all of these things. Our minds control the outcome of our lives. There isn't anything that you do by natural reflex in your life. There isn't anything that you do. It starts with a thought. Thinking always precedes action in your life. So what Paul is arguing is the things that you thought preceded these actions. So because you wanted and desired and your mind wanted you to be first, your desires to be first, the worship of you to be first, it's okay to be haughty. It's okay to be uh, 
slanderous. It's okay to do those things as long as it puts you at the top rung. As long as you're willing to break people down below you, but you stay at the top, your worship of you stays intact. That's a messed up mind. 1 Peter 1, 14 would call this list above the passions of your former ignorance. Listen to how stunningly similar this passage is to our own today. It's 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So that list that Paul talks about, Peter says these are passions and these passions are birthed from what? Ignorance, futile thinking. Do you see how that's connected? So all these soul-sucking, worship-stunting passions that rob us of the ability to worship God come directly from us. We don't need outside help. Our minds in ourselves, pre-Christ, naturally incline themselves to this kind of living. You couldn't, if you wanted to, worship God in that mind. You couldn't do it because you're the center of it. I like the idea of worship stunting passions. I thought about that a lot this week because isn't that what this whole verse has been about? This whole two verses has been about how to worship God properly in light of his mercies and it's giving him everything. And we talked about bodies and now Paul's gonna say mind. It's the, it's the totality of us as a believer. So that's what's wrong with our minds and, and, and it causes Paul to say in Romans 8, verse six through eight, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And here's the judgment. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Our minds have a natural inclination to worship pretty much everything but God. And our minds are the fount of all the worship-stunting passions we have. And it's no wonder that Paul tells us that it's our minds that have to be renewed. So if we're in this room and we've received Christ by faith, but we've pretty much had the same thoughts, lived the same life, and we can't see much different in our minds, then we are missing something massive in our lives. We are missing something massive our minds have been corrupted and they need renewal, but it's not only that the mind is corrupted, what's more is that the mind has the power to synchronize our actions. And that has resulted in us walking by the thoughts we have about ourselves and the thoughts that others have said about us and over us in our lives. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing, and I, I just want to paint this picture because this is a really pervasive problem. I'm spending more time on this than I will any of the other points, but here's the idea. Can you all remember a time 
or a person or a phrase or an identity marker or someone said something about you that has stuck with you and never gone away? I can. I can remember being told things at a certain age and at a certain time that, can I tell you, still I struggle with today. And there are things that I don't like about it. Now, we also have the positive. I can remember one time in my life, this was in 1998. You know how I know that? I was an intern here at this church. I was interning year-round for Chris Gray. We were at Fairfield High at a track competition. And I happened to be walking by, and I heard a, I heard a, a familiar voice behind me, and it was the voice of Susie Geiskoff. And she said, oh, Adam, nice calves. Nice calves, right? And listen, you gotta know something about me. I look pretty much the way I did then that I do now. And so listen, when someone's gonna give you a little body compliment, you're like, what? You think the calves is nice? I still remember it. It was 1998. And can I tell you what? I have a tattoo, you know where it's at? It's on my calf. Because when I walk out in shorts, I know Susie Geiskoff said, I look good. And I believe that about myself. I've held on with this 20 some odd years. But I've also held on to the other things where someone said, you're not worth a thing. You'll never amount to anything. You won't make it. You're this, you're that, you're the other. And can I be honest? I know each and every one of you in here are defining yourselves or have defined yourselves by that at some point. Is that not true? And here's the problem. When our minds are not being renewed in Christ and if we say that our mind has this, has this ability to synchronize our actions, if I dwell in the negative that people have poured over my life, how will I react what will my actions be? I'm gonna live in response to who I really think that I am. And if I really think that I am that worthless person, I'm never gonna do anything for myself that's positive. I'm never gonna think that God loves me. I'm gonna never think that Christ could possibly have chosen me. I'm always gonna think that must be some mistake. I must be disqualifying myself some way, somehow. That must not be real of me. That must not be true of me. Anybody else struggle with those thoughts? Maybe it's just me. When we think about it matters. And if we're walking according to what we have always thought and what we've always known, we're never gonna be transformed. Not in the way that God desires for his people. So this brings us to question number two. How is the mind renewed? That word renewal occurs only two times in our scriptures. Once in the verse that we are in right now, in Romans chapter 12, and once in Titus 3, three through seven. And I think this might've just become my favorite passage this week. And this is what it says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. So hold on, let's just hold there for one second. For we ourselves are once foolish. Didn't we just read in Romans chapter one that our foolish hearts were darkened? 
disobedient, slaves to various passions. That reminds you of 1 Peter, what we just read, the passions of our ignorance, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred of others and hatred of ourselves. That's just Romans 1, 8, 29 through 32. This is like all the same stuff. But verse four says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Remind you of what we've been talking about for three weeks? Now here it is. By the washing of regeneration, and here's the word, and renewal through the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So where does Titus say renewal comes from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what, who needs to transform our minds. So when Paul is saying, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, he's not saying don't believe the gospel, don't bring yourself in submission to God, don't walk in step with the Spirit, that it's somehow, some way, there's some human way to change your mind. That's not what he's saying. Certainly there is human participation and there is human effort, but only, only people who have been saved, people who have been justified by God's grace can have a renewed mind because it is the domain and the activity of the Holy Spirit. What a passage. Because it is the Spirit, Paul can say in Romans 8, 6, those who live according to the Spirit, remember last week in Ephesians, we said we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, living according to, to the evil age. So we lived in accordance with it. Now what does he say in Romans 8? Those who live according, in accordance with the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Only those who are in Christ, walking in the Spirit, have the ability to set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And think of the absolute astounding statement Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 2, 16, when he says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord, but we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit renews as we live according to the Spirit. Okay, so Adam, the, the Spirit brings renewal. okay. And if I'm supposed to partner with that, you're not really helping me. You're saying I'm gonna expend effort, but now you're saying that it's the spirit that does it. Well, how's that work? The spirit is the one that brings the, the renewal, but how does he do this? He does this by leading us to behold the glory of the Lord, namely the glory of God and the gospel. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians Chapter three, verses 12 through 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted 
because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord there is freedom, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And where does this all come from? For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So how does the Spirit transform our minds? The Spirit helps us to be able to see the gospel. And we can only see the gospel when the veil, which in this text is the hardness of mind, is lifted. Verse 14 says their minds were hardened. When? When they read the Old Covenant, when they read the Scriptures. When they read the Scriptures, their minds couldn't understand it because their minds were hard. There was a, there was a veil. How is the veil removed? It says when one turns to the Lord. What is turning to the Lord? That's just repentance, isn't it? You know what repentance is in Greek? Metanoia? It means have a change of mind. It means change your mind. That's what repentance means. Change your mind. Turn. Move the other way. So when one turns to the Lord, when they have a change of mind, how could they have had a change of mind? Well, the only way that they could have a change of mind is it says in verse 14, only through Christ is the veil taken away. It's only through Jesus that we can have the Spirit of God poured into our lives so that the veil is removed. Listen, you could never have responded to the gospel with a mind that hasn't been renewed by the Holy Spirit. Your mind had to be awakened to the realities of Christ. We know that because it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that the God of this world is blinding the minds of unbelievers. He's blinding the mind to keep them from what? Seeing why doesn't it say he blinds his eyes? Because the way we see is through our mind. The way we understand, the way we do anything is through our mind. And what happens? The God of this world is actively trying to blind the mind of unbelievers. But the Spirit of God comes and removes the veil, gives us understanding, opens our minds so that we can see what? This is 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. God did what we could not do for ourselves. Our minds would be in the same old state of Romans 1 if it wasn't for Christ. But the Spirit of the Lord brought freedom. Not a freedom to do whatever we want. Not a freedom to live however we want. But a freedom of the hardness of mind that we all had. And the renewed ability to behold. To behold. That sounds great, Adam. Thank you. The Holy Spirit does it, all of it. That's great. But you said that it's going to be effort. You, so far, you haven't said anything like that. And I think you were, you were lying to us. I was not. But I want us to be so saturated in who Christ is for us. I want us to be so saturated by, by the gospel before we move into this part. 
See, I know that for you and for me, I'll just be honest with me, my thoughts can still be pretty negative. I don't know about you. Mine can be. I'm still haunted by the words of my youth. I still have those same passions of ignorance that I find myself giving over to over and over and over again. And I still find myself putting me instead of God at the center of my worship a whole lot more than I want to. How can that be? How can that be if it's the spirit that that brings transformation, if it's the spirit that renews, how come I just don't automatically have a renewed mind? How come I just didn't wake up the day in 1993 when I heard the gospel at Hume Lake? How come I just didn't wake up and be like, I know the whole Bible. God gave it to me by the spirit. He renewed my mind. It's great. Everything works out perfect. Well, the first is that transformation is progressive. It doesn't happen all at once. What does that Corinthians passage say? We behold and we're changed from what? One degree of glory to another. Even at the best possible state you and I could ever be in in this life, we'll never be all the way there. Because we're conforming into the image of Christ, but our bodies and our, our brains and this world is all passing away. We're gonna have a resurrection body And that's the body that's going to get it right. And this one, we're always going to be haunted and we're always going to hear the familiar drum beats of the mind that we've had before. So transformation is progressive. That's maybe one reason. But here's the second. We are meant to be active in the process of being renewed. We are meant to be active in the process of being renewed. We partner in the work of the Holy Spirit. See, while the Spirit gives us the ability to see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, we need to be exposing ourselves to that truth all the time. If the gospel is the transformative power we need, then we actually have to behold it. And this brings us to our final point. How do we pursue the renewing of our minds as believers? Last week, I gave you a true statement. And that true statement is that what we love the most we will ultimately conform to. And this week, I give you another true statement. And is that you don't really know something until you apply it. Okay, you don't really believe something. You don't really know something until you apply it. If you have something rolling around in your mind that you ought to do, but you never do it, you didn't actually believe the thing you ought to do. You just intellectually aspired to it, but you don't believe it. See, in the Christian life, convictions come with action. If we believe something, we bear it out by doing it. So the Christian life isn't believing the right things and then going home. The Christian life is, I believe it, therefore I practice it. I do it. You don't really know something until you apply it. So if we know that continual exposure to the gospel is necessary for our ongoing transformation, that's how our mind is renewed, and that the Spirit uses the truth of the Scriptures, the truth of His Word, to renew our mind, we will only show that we believe that to the degree we join Him in the work of exposing continually our minds to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of Christ. 
Listen to these statements of Paul. Be quick. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And finally, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It's like a parallel passage to ours today. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. See, if, if the renewal of the mind and then ultimately transformation was just an automatic reality for Christians, Paul would have had no need to write you these exhortations. He would have had no need to write us these exhortations. See, we don't just change on a cycle of time. It's not like on your Christian birthday, whenever that is, God's like, a little more glory? A little more renewed? I think that's how it works. He's been, he's been with us long enough. Let's boost him up. Right? It's like when you play your video games and you use the same player, eventually it'd become like the greatest, they're better than LeBron in your video games, that kind of stuff. That's not how it works in the Christian life. We don't just change on a cycle of time. Rather, those that behold, they transform. Those that don't behold, those that don't behold, or better yet, let's take it to Romans 12, those that don't have the mercies of God in view, they don't transform. You can't. Imagine if you get in a car that's got no gas in the tank. When you go to turn it on, it's not gonna work. The car might be perfect. All the passengers are perfect. The road is perfect. The weather's perfect. You forgot to put gas in the car. It can't go anywhere. It's like us. If you aren't beholding the glory of Jesus, if you aren't exposing yourself to the gospel, if you aren't listening to, if you aren't reading, if you aren't doing those things, you're not gonna transform. Your mind is gonna stay the same and you're gonna get stuck in that same pattern over and over again where you come to a pastor or you come to somebody and say, I just don't seem to find the joy of the Lord. I just don't seem to be changing. I wanna ask the question, when's the last time you read the word? It was the last time you, you believed it? So I have three applications for us today, and it's expose, erase, and exercise. Expose, erase, and exercise, and I'll be quick through these, but expose your mind to the truth of the scriptures. Read the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. Don't just, don't just Listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon of people that exegete the scriptures for you. Take a passage, look at it, meditate on it, look at it again, look at the verbs, look at what it says, look at all of that, read the word. Buy a book on like how to do hermeneutics, read the word. Read the Old Testament, it's really important. Dan's Revelation class, 
It's like there's so much of the Old Testament in it. You want to understand the scriptures? Read the Old Testament. Read Leviticus. It's good. You'll love it. Once every five years. Read the Word. Memorize Scripture. Now, we, I think sometimes when we think about memorizing the Scripture, we think about when I memorize Scripture, I'm going to use that one day in the future. But let's remember, you and I aren't ever, ever guaranteed tomorrow. We're never guaranteed tomorrow. So let's not memorize Scripture with an eye to like one day I'm going to use this. But when you memorize Scripture, you write it down. You think about it. You write it down. You think about it. You write it down. Do you know what happens? Your today changes when you memorize Scripture. Memorizing scripture isn't more about the future, it's about today. It's about rooting myself in the promises and of the glory of Christ today. Because I know my mind. I know my mind. I know what I need. I know the lies that I'm prone to believe. You know the lies you're prone to believe. You need to expose yourself to the gospel, which brings me to the third point under expose. You need to pray for the spirit to illuminate the word of God inside of you so that you will have the mind to see the glory of Christ. Do you come to the word and you're like, I don't understand it. Before you go to a commentary, before you go to Wikipedia, go to God and say, give me the understanding I desire. I want to be transformed. I want to be conformed to your image. I want to give all of my life as worship, but I don't understand it. Pray for the humility sometimes to understand a word that we don't really want to believe. Like sometimes when the word says, don't be angry, Pray that the Spirit will give you enough humility that when you're angry to realize that it's actually an unproductive action in your life. Or when you're called to be reconciled to a brother, don't just say, man, I believe that for 98% of the people, but that one person who I really don't like, I'm not gonna do that. That's not what it means. Pray to the Spirit for guidance, for wisdom. The second is erase destructive thoughts from your mind. This is a battle, and we don't give enough attention to erasing the destructive thoughts from our mind that either we put there or that other people put there when they spoke things over our life. And I just wonder how many people in here, if you're being honest, are being defined more in your life right now by what people said you were than by who Christ says you are now. We have to erase destructive thoughts from our mind. The single most impactful quote in my life has been from Martin Lloyd-Jones in Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. By the way, if you're looking for a quarantine read, might I suggest it would be worth your time, but right in the beginning, a quote that stuck out with me and has been with me ever since is, don't listen to yourself, preach to yourself. Don't listen to yourself, Preach to yourself. Think about this. The God of this age can blind the mind of unbelievers, but he can't blind the mind of believers. He can't. So any kind of fogginess, any kind of negativity, any kind of worship-saturating or, or, uh, sorry, worship-stunting passions that are coming from your mind are there by you. It's yours Satan didn't implant them in there for you. That's your mind. Satan could use them. But man, we, this is how we are. 
So we need to preach to ourselves. There are times in my life when I'm literally like almost rocking back and forth in my office chair, wrestling with my identity, wrestling with these words and these things that have been spoken over my life and that were so pervasive and that I lived by over and over and over again. And when I failed, it just rung true that their words were true. But then I came to hear that I was in Christ and in Christ I was chosen and in Christ I was redeemed and in Christ I'm a new creation and in Christ there's no more condemnation and in all of these promises. And do you know what I have to do sometimes when this side gets bigger? I have to stop and say, that's not me anymore. Those words don't define me. You know what defines me now? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls Take my yoke upon you. Man, that's a promise that I can hold into. I can look at the in Christ. And so, listen, I, I do stuff like this. This is my favorite book in the world. Uh, scratch that from the live stream. I love the Bible the most. This book I've come to over and over and over again. It's called Who Am I? It's by Jerry Bridges. Here's the chapters. I am a creature. I am in Christ. I'm justified. I'm an adopted son of God. I'm a new creation. I'm a saint. I'm a servant of Christ and I'm not yet perfect. Do you know how many times I got to come back to this thing? This is a newer copy because my older copy is messed up because I'm prone to believe my mind. I'm prone to believe the things about me that aren't true. And so over and over again, I gotta come to things like this and I gotta come to the scriptures and I gotta say, that's not who you are, Adam. You're this guy now. So erase destructive thoughts from your mind. Cry out to God and say, God, make me believe. Make me believe that I am who you say I am. Isn't there a worship song about that somewhere? We're not singing it afterwards. I guess I, should, I could have told Sarah that, sorry. Anyways, listen, this is my newer copy. If you're here today and you're really struggling, I would like to give this to you. It's only a first service offer. So if you come to me after this, I'll give you that book as long as you buy me another. And then third is exercise your mind. Remember the context of this passage. We're worshiping God through the dying to self and the presentation of our bodies through holiness. We're meant to be renewed. We're meant to use our renewed minds because it's the key to our actions. The mind controls the behavior and the same is true of us right now. Remember, you only believe what you apply. You only believe what you apply. You need to exercise your mind. When the scripture says, love your enemies, exercising your mind looks like this. Loving your enemies. Right? When the Bible says, repent, repent. There's no secret. You wanna start having a transformed mind? You wanna start walking powerfully with the spirit? Do the word. Exercise your mind by doing what the word actually says. Sometimes we just think, oh, I believe that. And we give each other a high five. You believe that? I believe that? We're belief pals. I don't wanna be belief pals anymore. I wanna be doing stuff, pals. You guys want to be doing stuff, pals, with me? Let's high five after this from six feet away because this is on the live stream. Let's be doing stuff, pals. 
And here's, we'll end it. You remember our illustration at the opening of this passage. Think about the before and after pictures of your life. Actually, think about it right now. Think about the before and after pictures, before Christ, after Christ. Where are you? If you're being honest, what's your life really look like? Is it more defined by conforming to this world's standards? Or is it truly a picture of transformation that when people look at it, they're like, yeah, that checks out. Or are we the kind of people that are sucking it in and puffing out our chest and telling people that a four-day detox works? Our life as followers of Christ is a call to pursue transformation. May we all use our minds to that end this week for his glory and for his power. Let's pray. Father, so thankful for who you are, so thankful for the gospel, so thankful for Jesus, thankful for the spirit. I thank you that it is your domain and yours alone to renew us, to bring transformation. And yet at the same time, God, we acknowledge that our patterns of thinking sometimes need to change. And we wanna partner with you in this work. So give us the boldness, give us the courage to see the word, apply the word, love the word, to see you in it, to treasure you, to pray to you, to desire you above all things. We pray it in your name. Amen.